Hello everyone and welcome to this edition of the VTX podcast. As always at VTX we're asking what are you thinking and this week... We're going to be talking about lymphoma and some of the chemotherapy options for the treatment of that disease. And really excitingly, we're going to be catching up with my really good friend and colleague, Spiele. As always, I'm here. My name's Scott. I am one of the founders of VTX and I am a specialist in small animal internal medicine. And I'm here with my bestest friend and VTX podcast producer, Karen, who, as we... Oh, hi, hi. Um, as, as we always say now, is here to basically keep me from waffling on. Hard job. Like the waffle police. <laughs> I know, the waffle police. That's my favourite thing. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Spieler, here we are. How are you doing? I'm good, Scott. Thank you very much. It's a beautiful and sunny day. I know. It's a shame that we're not in the same place, but it's sunny here too. Um, so I wondered if you could tell everyone really who you are and I suppose a little bit about how you've become involved with uh, VTX. Sure. So um, I am a veterinary oncologist. Um, so I specialize in veterinary oncology at the University of Edinburgh, which um, is the place where we've met um, as well now about seven or, or eight years ago almost. Cool. And um through that and through staying in touch with you after you've left Edinburgh, um, we we came together and and you know yeah. worked on on VTX as well. People maybe wonder where where are you from originally? Well, um, <laughs> my accent might be hard to place. Um, usually, um, Russia. They say that it's yeah, absolutely. Um, they they definitely say it's easterly um, but I am originally from Slovenia which is a small country um, in just between Austria, Italy, Croatia and Hungary um, and I've done my studies there and then moved to to UK about eight years ago to pursue my career um, here in UK. Whereabouts are you now and where are you working? Um, so right this moment, I'm sitting in my living room in a nice um, apartment in Brunsfield in Edinburgh. Um, I love this city, um, and that's probably one of the main reasons why I've um, stayed on following my residency um, at the vet school. So I'm now a senior lecturer in medical oncology, um, and I kind of divide my time between working on clinics and lecturing um, to students. So you did, so you obviously went to vet school in Slovenia, but there was another country in between Slovenia and Edinburgh. So where was that? Yeah. So um, after I graduated back at home in 2010, I actually went to the States first and did some um, externships in a university and the private um, hospital in the United States. And following that, I did an internship in Netherlands. So I spent about a year in, in Netherlands at a private hospital um, before getting my residency in Edinburgh. We did our residency together. This is kind of a, a bit of the conversation that Liz and I were having last week. So we were kind of really lucky to be doing that all at the same time, just in different specialties. This is what I was saying to Liz. I think one of the lasting nice memories for me from my residency was the fact that we all became friends and that was a really and that's obviously still a thing now you know and that was definitely my highlight of the 
of the process, I suppose. Can I can I ask just for a very selfish reason? Uh, how did you guys meet? Do you remember yeah. meeting each other? Basically, because Scott really arsed this up last week, and I wanted it <laughs> to happen again. <laughs> <laughs> so yes i do vividly remember so we met in in morning rounds actually um you know i remember being in rounds as a new resident being really intimidated and spiele had been on uh the icu or the emergency rotation for about 12 years in a row or something like she'd just been absolutely beasted on this rotation over and over again yeah so i, I kind of had that res- just a respect from the very beginning as far as becoming like actual friends, it really has to do with exercise. <laughs> so I'm not be- we're not being sponsored by Sean T, but Spiele sort of said, oh, come and do this exercise. And I was like, oh, whatever. So I'd gone for this quite long run and then went and did this workout. And oh my God, I almost literally had a cardiac arrest. It was so difficult. And so we then we then did this every night and it's become like a thing. They still the residents still do that now at the vet school. Well, we needed it, right? The insanity was absolutely the most important part to maintain our sanity for sure. <laughs> I, I remember seeing Scott sitting in the atrium behind the computer. We we used to wear this, or we still do for the ones that are still in, in Edinburgh, we wear these blue navy tops. Um and Scott had quite this um, prominent, um, how do you say, contrast between the, the tone of his skin um, compared to the to the blue top. What does that mean? Well, maybe he looked a little bit orange. Oh, I remember this as well. <laughs> Stop. Um, so he definitely caught my eye. Yeah. So um, yeah, I mean, there were times when when Scott also had keys to my to my apartment. Um, <laughs> this is classic, which I, I still regret um, because oh. it meant that I ran out of milk. I found my coffee mugs all over the hospital. Um, I used to live literally next door to to the hospital, so it it resulted in him um, going over and and helping himself. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. I'm no. Times when at the end of the day we would be walking home, and I would say, "Oh yeah, I'm really looking forward to that nice piece of bread and cheese and olive that I have." And Scott would be like just shaking his head and staring at the ground, and I'm like, "What?" And he obviously has eaten that. Oh, good times. That's shocking. Good times, good times. Anyway, moving on. (laughs) So, uh, (laughs) anyway, here we are and we're still very good friends now. So, I wanted to talk to you about something that is really quite relevant in my life just now from a clinical point of view. One of the things that um, I often get asked and I think people in general practice will will also be asked is when we diagnose patients with multicentric lymphoma, so dogs and cats with multicentric lymphoma, what kind of recommendations we're making treatment wise and really and the million dollar question which lots and lots of owners will ask is always about prognosis. So I just wanted to maybe chat through some of these protocols and the pros and cons of some of the different options that we give to owners. So correct me if I'm wrong, as far as what we recommend to owners, the CHOP protocol, would you say is still the kind of gold standard uh, treatment for multicentric lymphoma? 
Yes, absolutely. So cats and dogs both get diagnosed with lymphoma really frequently. It's actually one of the most, if not the most common type of cancers that we find in both species, even though there are some major differences between the presentations in cats versus in, in dogs. Um, the, the common nomenclature is that both require management with chemotherapy in vast majority of cases. And CHOP chemotherapy, which is a multi-agent chemotherapy, meaning that we use a lot of different drugs together because they all have beneficial properties in treatment of this condition. Um, when we combine them, we get the best results. And yes, this is considered the gold standard treatment um, for majority of patients that we diagnose with this condition um, and would absolutely be our first recommendation. Offering that as a protocol to to owners, what kind of you know, they're always kind of asking about life expectancy, aren't they? So, are you able to give kind of that average figure for owners when they ask that question? Yeah, so it is a very normal question to be asked, but actually the answer to this question is actually quite complex and complicated. So um, every patient is, you know, unique in so many ways. Um, every disease is um, unique as well. So generally we say when dogs present with multicentric lymphoma, um, that average survival time when we treat them with CHOP chemotherapy is roughly about a year. Um, but there is a lot that we can do to, you know, prolong that even further. So what what happens after about a year um, is that disease relapses or reoccurs um, and that's not the end we can treat again um, but vast majority of um, patients um, have a lifespan of about a year roughly when being diagnosed with, with this condition when we're talking about dogs it's a little bit different about cats the in cats the disease predominantly affects a certain area of the body such as gastrointestinal system or mediastinum um, more commonly than, for instance, peripheral lymph nodes, which is what we see in dogs. So in cats, it's more of an, uh, a disease of a certain area. Um, and prognosis depends a little bit on the area that is affected. And in cats, generally, prognosis is worse um, when it comes to diagnosing um, high-grade lymphoma than it is in dogs. For instance, when it occurs in the gastrointestinal tract, we say about four to six months, maybe, when it occur occurs in the mediastinum, maybe six to nine. So it's a little bit different in cats than it is in dogs. And actually, at the moment, it's kind of topical because, you know, we're we're not we're trying to not treat patients uh, or see patients as intensively as we would have done because of coronavirus. So for instance, you know, we're uh, trying to maybe reduce the contact we're having with owners and pets. Um, if, if people don't go for that intense or more intensive CHOP protocol, are there any stripped down versions of that or single agent protocols or just oral drugs that can be given as an alternative if owners want that? Yes, absolutely. So I'm trying to look at this pandemic, um, you know, as one of the reasons why we're having this conversation about um, changing the, the, the protocols that we are using for treatment. But besides the pandemic, there's other reasons as well, such as financial stress associated with treatment um, and other um, aspects of management of these cases um, that might prevent us from using gold standard treatment. So this is why it's very important that we consider about alternatives, not just now when we need to minimize the contact with um, the owners and their pets, but also um, on everyday basis, we really need to assess what would be the best 
approach for a given patient. So um, some of the um, less intensive protocols that we use because CHOP protocol, for instance, is a treatment that um, we are giving once a week for a number of weeks. For dogs, that is usually about 19 weeks. For cats, that's usually about 25 weeks, even though we, um, treatment goes to every other week um, in the later stages of the protocol. Um, but now when we are really trying to minimize the contact, um, we recommend treatments that can be given maybe every three weeks um, or so, in which case we can use certain drugs that are used in CHOP protocol, such as injectable doxorubicin. That's a very good drug as a single agent. Um, however, um, if we're trying to minimize delivery of injectable medications under these conditions as well, then maybe lomastin, which is an oral chemotherapeutic agent, could be considered. Do we have any information about the difference in this kind of survival times when you're using single agent doxorubicin or lomustine, has that work been done? Do we know that? Absolutely. So we, we have some information, but we don't have as much evidence as we do when um, we assess the efficacy of CHOP protocol, for instance. There is many more papers available on that topic than on single agents, um, such as doxorubicin or lomustine. Um, for doxorubicin, for instance, for dogs, um, we know that um, remission is induced in about 80% of patients, so compared to CHOP when that would be over 90% of patients, and remission duration is shorter, is about six to nine months average, when on, in CHOP protocol it would be about 12 months. Interestingly enough, in cats, um, when we're talking about, let's say, high-grade GI lymphoma, um, lomastin has um, been shown to be almost as efficacious um, as multi-agent protocol, um, CHOP protocol, for instance. Um, however, the remission rates are a, bit, a little bit lower than they are in CHOP. So for instance, if we would be treating a cat with high-grade GI lymphoma with CHOP protocol, the chance for them going into remission is higher than it is with lomastine. But if we are able to induce the remission with lomastine, then the outcome is actually very comparable to CHOP protocol. So in certain cases, it's actually not a bad trade um, if you swap lomastine for CHOP protocol, um, but we have more information in cats than we do in dogs. In dogs, this protocol is primarily used as one of the rescue protocols, meaning that we use it when our first-line treatments, such as CHOP protocol, fail. Um, so we don't really have good information about remission rates and durations in patients that that are naive to treat. But it, but if an owner of a if a dog with multicentric lymphoma, the owner decided they did not want an injectable protocol, lomustine as a first agent wouldn't be an unreasonable choice. Yes, absolutely. That would definitely be something that we would discuss. It's generally well tolerated. The intensity of the treatment is quite low, so it's every three weeks. Um, and, you know, it, it's reasonably inexpensive, especially when you compare it to um, multi-agent protocols. So absolutely, um, we offer it, as I already said, in, in, you know, many other situations, not just during the COVID um, pandemic, when we are restricted with treatments, we offer it um, in everyday practice as well for patients where um, injectable chemotherapy is something that we can't deliver or the owners won't opt for that. Okay. That was certainly something that was really helpful to me personally. Um, in your kind of role uh, where you are taking a lot of advice calls, I know you do, you know, you take advice calls from sort of lots of different directions. What would you say coming through a really busy oncology department like yours 
what would you say is the number one question that referring vets ask you? What's like the thing that they always want to know? <laughs> what would you say? That's um, a hard question. <laughs> wow, it, it is a hard question because I'm not sure if there is a you know, one good thing um, that they always ask. I think questions are often kind of um, centered around the whole diagnosis of lymphoma. For instance, do we need to take a biopsy of a lymph node in a dog when they present with enlarged lymph nodes or um, are we okay to, to just um, take an FNA? Um, and oh, yeah. then the next question that usually follows is, um, do we need to phenotype them? So do we need to know if a patient has a B cell um, or a T cell lymphoma? So this is something that um, I, I guess, especially in lymphomas, which um, are one of the most common diseases and therefore um, one of the most common questions from the vets, these are the type of questions that they ask. And I think they're quite good questions. So following on from that, is an FNA enough then? Is an FNA of a lymph node with good cell harvest and preservation is that is that good enough yes um actually in most cases we can make a reliable cytological diagnosis of a high-grade lymphoma based on a good fna sample of a peripheral lymph node in dog cats can be a little bit more tricky um their lymphocytes are um, sometimes a little bit harder to read for pathologists, um, but definitely in dogs with multicentric lymphoma with peripheral lymphadenopathy, FNA in most cases is adequate to make a definitive diagnosis on which we can then base our treatment for sure. And what about the, you mentioned the phenotyping, is that necessary? Absolutely. So I think it's a very good question and I think to some extent maybe there isn't a definitive answer available for us just yet. We have shown that B-cell lymphomas, which are more common in dogs when they present with multicentric lymphoma, tend to be more amenable for treatment. So they have better responses to treatment, higher remission um, durations, um, and uh, just overall better survival <clears throat> times than T-cell lymphomas. But what we are really lacking is good studies that would show that we need to treat B-cell and T-cell lymphomas differently. So at the moment, we are lacking that information. There is some suggestion that T-cell lymphomas respond better to certain types of chemotherapeutic agents that are called alkylating agents. So that would be drugs like lomastine, cyclophosphamide, and so on. Um, but when you compare the treatment focused more on these alkylating agents to CHOP protocol, um, actually the outcomes were quite similar. Um, so at the moment, a lot of oncologists and myself included still treat B and T cell lymphomas the same way. Um, but that might change in the future if we get good studies that would support um, a use of slightly different drugs in T cell versus B cell um, patients. If you want to learn a little bit more about the fundamentals of chemotherapy, Shabila's has done a whole webinar, um, so head over to our website www.vtx-cpd.com uh, and if you head to the webinar section you'll be able to find out more about that. This is our latest edition of Desert Island Drugs and as always we are stranded on a desert island and have to choose one of a variety of options of medications to treat a certain condition. Uh, we have to choose one that we're going to save from the waves. So this week we are pleased to be joined again with Spila who is going to be choosing one of the following drugs 
to treat a dog who has already had the CHOP protocol for the treatment of multicentric lymphoma. And we have to choose one of these drugs uh, as a rescue protocol. So the drug options she has this week are lomastine, doxorubicin and corticosteroids. Okay, so um, this is an, an interesting question. And I think to, to some extent, um, the answer could um, be either of them. But if I really need to, to swim after one, um, to save <laughs> one for these do- this stranded dog on, on the island, um, probably steroids wouldn't be my first choice, even though we know that they are um, great to provide palliation in patients with lymphoma. They can actually control the disease, but they can only control the disease for a very short period of time, usually a matter of weeks. Um, so this would be a good option if, for instance, we wouldn't want to continue with chemotherapy for whatever reason, um, but it wouldn't be my, my first option. Um, second option, doxorubicin, probably wouldn't be my first um, drug that I would swim after either. Um, the reason for that is if the dog already had CHOP protocol, it probably already received four doses of doxorubicin. We know that this drug can be cardiotoxic, so if we would want to continue with treatment, um, we might induce cardiotoxicity, um, especially when we reach six doses or beyond. So that wouldn't be um, the, the perfect drug for that reason either. Um, another reason would be that if it had already received doxorubicin and then um, its lymphoma recurred, it might mean that it's resistant to this drug as well. So again, that might be another reason why doxorubicin wouldn't be my, my drug of choice in that situation. Lomastin is probably the most inviting ones um, from this bunch. Um, the reason for that is it's a new um, drug that this patient has not yet received. So it's likely that um, there won't be any resistance um, to treatment in this case. Um, and it's been described as one of the best rescue agents um, in, in treatment of dogs with um, recurrent or relapsed multicentric lymphoma. So that is probably why it would be my, my choice for this particular patient. Next week, I'm so excited that we're going to be joined by Katie Ford. She has been a massive supporter of VTX and has such an amazing, positive presence on social media uh, and is really contributing to the veterinary profession in so many different ways. We're really excited to chat more about what she has been up to. As ever, I want to thank all of you for listening and just for all of your support generally. We really, really appreciate it. Please remember to like, follow and share on our social media platforms. Thanks for listening and we will see you next week.